This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Got a great topic this morning and a great guest in Reed Marks. And, you know, it's such an important conversation to talk about uh, gun laws. And he is the leading expert in our state on this topic. He does a Second Amendment blog. Um, and so welcome, Reed. And would you tell us a little more about your background? Yes, good morning. Uh, my name is Reed Martz. I work at Freeland Martz Law Firm. We have two offices, one in Oxford, Mississippi, and the other in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We cover actually five different states and practice law in Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Missouri, and Georgia. Uh, one of my uh, professional interests and passions is uh, self-defense and Second Amendment rights. So um, that's what you've asked me here to talk about today. It's a a topical um, subject, given our incoming administration and some of the promises they've made. I look forward to discussing it with you and your viewers. We're glad to have you. And, you know, uh, I think uh, one of my friends and previous guests said that that I hate guns. And I I really, I've been shooting guns since I was six years old. And my wife works uh, works for Gardening Gun Magazine. I learned to shoot an Uzi at the age of 15. But I, I think we have to have a good conversation about uh, guns in this country and be able to you know, have intelligent conversations. So we're really happy to have you here. And you know, talk about that a little bit. What impact do you think President-elect Biden will have on gun laws? Well, it, it, it's going to be up, I, I don't know, uh, honestly, because with the divided Senate, uh, it doesn't look like the Democrats are going to take over the Senate. They actually lost some seats in the House. So I don't think that he's going to have near the legislative power that he thought um, several weeks ago. But he has promised on his website, which I reviewed over the weekend, um, a fair bit of executive action. And that is, you and I discussed this off the air, fairly chilling to me, executive action, regardless of who's doing it is just a great concern for a lot of different reasons. Um, uh, Trump was not particularly the gun owner's friend in this regard. I, he, he rolled over and basically told the ATF to redefine a law uh, contrary to what it says on bump stocks because that was politically expedient for him at the time. So I am more concerned, honestly, about what he's promising uh, using, quote, executive action straight off of his website. Some of the things that he's promised to do there is use his executive authority to ban the importation of assault weapons. Um, He has also promised to rescind an executive action by President Trump regarding persons who were um, on Social Security disability because of uh, a determination they were unable to manage their affairs. 
and in, essentially what that would do is take all of those people that are receiving those benefits and add them to the national uh, criminal background database so that if they go up to attempt to, to purchase a firearm, they will be declined or flagged for uh, being declined based on an incapacity to own a firearm under federal law. I think that's a great concern. It, it may be something that could be addressed legislatively, but I didn't like it during uh, the Obama-Biden administration. Uh, Trump immediately repealed it, and now the Biden-Harris administration is promising to reinstate it. And uh, that's just one of those examples of executive action Give me a good bit of concern. We are talking about gun rights this morning with attorney Reed Martz from Freeland Martz. You can send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org, with your questions. Well, Reed, um, you know, we are, uh, Americans are buying guns at a record rate. You know, what what is that about, do you think? It's really unbelievable uh, to see how many firearms have been purchased in calendar year 2020 with what is traditionally the busiest season yet to come. We have uh, thus far in the first 10 months of 2020 passed the overall record, which was set in 2016 on fears of a Hillary Clinton administration. Uh, and we We'll see what happens in November and December. The supply is pretty much exhausted, so I don't know if it can keep going at the same pace, but it is just unbelievable how many firearms have been sold. The numbers are in excess of 17 million so far. Uh, a couple different reasons are cited by this. Uh, it started originally in March when we really saw the first run on firearms, and that was around the time of the government lockdowns for COVID. That was followed up by some riots and calls to defund police or change policing policies. Those are actually separate issues. They're somewhat related uh, in that there was some overlap between the concerns that caused the riots, but people are citing those as separate things. So some people were scared that rioting was going to come to their neighborhood, and some people were scared that the police were going to be defunded and there would be no one to answer their calls. So uh, those are the, the big things that, to this point, motivated uh, purchases. But now, especially in light of the election, you're going to see more of a push to try to get out ahead of what the Biden-Harris administration is promising on gun control. And it's just a perfect storm. Well, excuse, excuse me for making this analogy, but it's almost, I, I think, you know, I can see people say, well, I need a gun, but but stockpiling them, it's almost like, you know, when, when COVID started, I, I would see people walking around in the Kroger with, with piles of toilet paper piled up in their in their carts. And it, it seems almost similar. I mean, how many guns does somebody need, you know, would be, I think a fair question. I mean, I, 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 you know, I can't, I'm not sure I understand the need to buy more, uh, you know, like having, you know, more toilet paper, like somehow or another, you know, so, I mean, that's, is that a bad analogy? No, I think that there's a point to that, but I think that point also cuts the other way as, um, you know, theoretically you could fire two guns at once, one in each hand, but beyond that, what difference does it make how many guns you have? If you've got five or 500, you can only use one or two at a time. 
So uh, I don't know that that really matters as much. But one thing I found particularly interesting is that uh, the gun sales this year have been pretty, I know we passed around this term, unprecedented too much in 2020, but they have been very different because we have a, a large percentage of first-time gun buyers. And in that demographic, the, a lot of these individuals have been Black Americans and women. Traditionally, you think about middle-aged white men like myself going and buying yet another AR-15 or some other rifle, but that's not what the gun dealers are reporting. They're reporting significant numbers. I don't know how accurate it is, but they're saying 40% of purchasers are first-time gun owners. Well, that, that's pretty uh, distinct from what we've seen in the past. In 2016, it was guys buying their fifth or tenth AR, but not in 2020. Let's go to the phones now. David has called in to join our conversation from Moss Point. David, what's your comment or question for us? Uh, yes, I, I understand that uh, the gun laws are based on the Second Amendment rise to own a gun. And that means it's a, a, a constitutional law that you can own a gun. And since constitutional law is supreme law of the land, which means nobody can pass a law that denies you the rights of your constitutional rights. So in the recent uh, election of cannabis, Initiative 65, they've stated that people that get a cannabis card can no longer own a gun and I'm thinking that maybe not be constitutional. Can somebody, my question is, can somebody pass a law that negates constitutional law? Thanks, David. Uh, no, David, uh, you cannot have a law, which uh, lawyers would call a statute, that would uh, override or contradict the Constitution. The Constitution is meant to be the highest form of law in the nation. So uh, to the extent that there is a, a contradiction or an inconsistency, the Constitution would always prevail. One thing I'd like to point out is that the Second Amendment doesn't grant a right. The Second Amendment protects a right, which the founders said already pre-existed. And yet uh, there are no absolute rights. And this is really something um, Mr. Gershon mentioned it earlier. We need to have an intelligent conversation and get away from talking points. So I, I'm not one of these people that said shall not in, be infringed means that every gun law everywhere is unconstitutional. But you raise a valid point and a very timely issue given uh, Mississippi's vote on medical marijuana, which is still illegal under federal law. And when you buy a firearm from a licensed dealer, you have to fill out a form 4473, which asks you if you are an unlawful user of uh, drugs and technically you are because federal law doesn't allow it. there is that inconsistency it has been there uh, for years they're dealing with it in other states hawaii actually cross-referenced their medical marijuana uh, database with their firearms owner database fortunately we don't have that concern in mississippi but somebody somewhere is going to raise that issue and somebody some court is going to have to address it if the legislature do not 
Thank you, David, for that question. If you have a question about gun rights, send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing gun rights, concealed carry, stand your ground, stun guns, with our guest, Attorney Reed Martz. And are you required to notify a police officer that you're carrying a concealed firearm in Mississippi? We'll learn about that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is in legal terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz here. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we're talking about your Second Amendment rights with attorney Reed Martz from Freeland Martz. And no, you are not required to notify an officer you are carrying concealed in Mississippi. We do have two calls to get to before we move into that topic some more. But let's go to Chip, who has called in from Olive Branch. Chip, thanks for being part of our show today. Go ahead. Thank you for covering this topic. Um, I am a gun owner, many years. I made straight A's in marksmanship at uh, University of South Alabama. I'm worried about the 72 shootings we've had on the interstate in Memphis this year, and I'm worried about people who show up at protests uh, showing their um, guns in a very uh, threatening manner. I'd like to hear some discussion about that. Thank you, Chip. I'm going to hang up and listen online. All right. Thank you. Well, uh, I'm not sure that, that as from a legal perspective, I have a whole lot to contribute regarding shootings on the interstate or uh, guns at a protest, whether or not that's a good idea. Um, it can be legal. It may not be legal, depending on the circumstances of the protest, its location, and, and everything else. But... Uh, certainly, I think everyone should be concerned with violence of any nature, whether it's violence committed with a firearm or violence committed with a kitchen knife. Uh, regardless, we need to do our best to identify the causes of this. That is one thing that the Biden-Harris administration has proposed is funding for scientific research on these issues. I wish it wasn't so pointed to simply uh, gun violence. Uh, 
air quotes around that term, but violence in general. If we could figure out what are the stressors and the keys that could be addressed to reduce the overall violence level, that would be fantastic. Look at uh, England. They're dealing with violence in the form of stabbings and slashings because guns are more or less illegal there. It's a problem of violence. So I, I don't... I don't have any political thoughts to offer in that regard. All right. Well, let's go to our next call. We have Terry, who has called in from Meridian. Terry, thank you so much for being part of In Legal Terms. Go ahead. You're welcome. Three points. One is um, if you have the contention of an absolute right to bear arms, then what do you do about felons? Two is... You, the right to free speech does not allow you to yell fire in a crowded theater. And three is you don't have an absolute right to a marijuana card. So if you choose to have a marijuana card, then you may have to give up the right to have a gun, or you can just not you can keep the gun and not have the marijuana card. That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Terry raises a really interesting issue about. Um, yeah, I, I hear some gun advocates, some Second Amendment advocates saying, it, you know, Second Amendment is absolute. But we know the First Amendment's not absolute, as he mentioned, and, and neither is the Fourth Amendment. Uh, there are some exceptions to, uh, you know, when when a warrant must be uh, issued and you know, those kinds of things. So we have limitations on our constitutional rights. Um, what are some of the reasonable limitations on, on gun ownership? <laughs> There's a barbed question if I've ever heard one. Um, I think, though, the case law bears out that um, one of the issues Terry just mentioned would be an exception. So felons. There are some cases that um, diverge on this as to what type of felon, because not all felonies are created equal. There's a big difference between someone who's demonstrated a history of violence um, especially domestic violence or something like that versus someone who has a white collar conviction for, you know, whatever, mail fraud or, or something even um, less innocuous than that. Um, so there are a lot of felons and a lot of reasons to uh, consider that. And then you've got to also consider mental adjudication. There have been quite a few uh, what are called as applied challenges to um, the bar on ownership of a firearm either by a felon or someone who had previously had a mental health uh, problem. I spoke earlier, not a few weeks ago, earlier this year at the CLE, Continuing Legal Education, about uh, an individual who had had a mental health problem. He was a refugee to this country. Uh, the court case was very... Uh, complimentary of him and all that he had done to overcome some very, very difficult circumstances in his life as a refugee. But at one point, young in his life, he had had a problem with mental health. And that acted in the Ninth Circuit as a permanent lifetime disqualification for him. Even though he had been, by all accounts, completely rehabilitated and recovered from that mental health episode, yet under federal law, he could never own a firearm. Is that fair? I would submit to you that it is not, and that the Ninth Circuit got it wrong. There were three dissenting opinions, and they were uh, one of them in particular was extremely strong, and I thought well reasoned. That 
barring people simply by class is not what we need to be doing. So we can, we're going to have to keep ferreting that out. The um, United States Supreme Court is going to have to touch on this issue again. And they've only addressed it twice. And we need another case to really touch on those points. Of, of how far does this right go? Reed, earlier I, I teased that you aren't required to notify an officer that you're carrying a concealed uh, in Mississippi. Reed, do you need a permit to carry a concealed weapon? Thank you, Liz, for coming back to that. I wanted to make one clarification that you are correct. You do not have to affirmatively uh, tell a law enforcement officer that you are carrying a concealed weapon. However, if you are carrying a concealed weapon pursuant to a license, also called a permit, uh, you must declare the presence of that weapon, quote, upon demand. The statutory citation for that is 459-101, subsection 1B. It says that you must carry your concealed carry license along with other identification, and you must present those to the law enforcement officer upon demand. Uh, to go to your other question, no, in Mississippi, within the state, you are not required to have a concealed carry license or a concealed carry permit to carry a firearm on your person or in your vehicle, place of business, or home. Um, you, you can completely conceal it and go about your business without a license. Well, we have four calls on the line now. We're going to go to Greg, who has called in from Columbus. Greg, thanks for being part of our show today. What's your comment or question about gun rights? Hey, hello there. Uh, I just decided to call in after I heard the one uh, young lady there talk about being afraid of folks uh, displaying guns publicly. I've never seen any demonstration where <clears throat> innocent people were shot. And uh, while I'm not going to seek out a, a demonstration to go carry publicly, because, frankly, there's nothing that they demonstrate for that, you know, I'm going to risk my life for. And I think they're all just a bunch of crazy people with an agenda. But I'm certainly glad I do live in Mississippi because most of the people I know carry weapons in their cars. You know, they'll throw it in the side uh, compartment of their pickup truck. Uh, they'll set it on the passenger seat or uh, just underneath their right thigh as they're driving. And you're perfectly legal to do that in Mississippi. Now, according to some of these gun control uh, states and cities around the country, which to me are extreme and excessive, we should be having deaths every other mile down the road or at businesses. But we do not in Mississippi. I think a lot of it deals with the culture and uh, the people that are having the guns and what the reason is. And when you congregate a bunch of people that have uh, uh, nefarious or just negative intentions, you're going to have places like Chicago. I mean, I think they had, what, 50 shootings last weekend in Chicago alone? And they've had nearly 700 homicides in Chicago alone? Now, we haven't had that in Mississippi. I know where I live in Mississippi, up around Columbus, Mississippi, uh, rarely do we have a gun death. But when we do... It's usually people that know each other, and they've got negative activity going on between the two. Uh, I feel perfectly safe in Columbus and everything. And um, Of course, I'm not going to seek out um, 
you know, bars or something at night where, you know, you might come into people uh, that have negative activity going on. But I'm certainly glad that we live in Mississippi and everybody, no matter who you are, unless you're a felon or convict or something like that, you're allowed to have a weapon to defend yourself. And right now I'm out in the middle of the country where it'd take 20 minutes for a deputy to get to me. And you're darn shooting. I got a gun here on the backhoe. Uh, because if someone comes out of the woods, which I've had before with guns, um, you know, they claim to be, well, I didn't know it was your property. Yeah? Well, if I wasn't here, what would you do with the stuff that I got over here on my property? And just because I didn't have a machine run at the time, you know, they, they wander over here. And you know exactly where your property lines are usually. But All right. Well, thank you. I've, I've rattled on enough. <laughs> thank you for taking my call, and I appreciate you guys. Well, we appreciate you too, Greg, and love the Columbus area. You can send us an email with your questions anytime to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with attorney Reed Martz from Freeland Martz about open carry, concealed carry. What's the difference? Gun rights is our topic. Does Mississippi have a magazine capacity restriction for handguns? We're going to learn about that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. You're listening to in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. Lots of different podcasting platforms. I happen to use Podcast Addict, but there's Stitcher and Google's got one. iPhone has their own. You touch the plus, and it takes me to a page to search for podcasts. Then I can type in in legal terms in the search area. It brings up in legal terms, and then I'm able to touch the photo, then subscribe. And I'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about gun rights with our guest, Attorney Reed Martz from Freeland Martz. And Mississippi does not have a magazine capacity restriction. Let's go to the phone. Stephen has been waiting from Memphis. Oh, we love our Memphis listeners, too. We love our listeners all over the place. But, uh, uh, you know, I just watched uh, one of the what Christmas at Graceland. So I got to see Memphis on uh, TV this weekend. So, Stephen, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Yeah, good morning. Thank you. So I'm a Memphis gun owner, and my question is I have two. One is if... Uh, a person wants to purchase a firearm and is not a felon or mentally 
you know, been under any mental care and has no restrictions based on federal. But if this person, for example, was on a uh, federal watch list, perhaps a terrorist watch list, but has never been convicted of any crimes, is that person able to buy firearms in the state of Mississippi? That's question one. And two, is there any limit to the caliber of weapon that a person can buy? Like, for example, I mean, I know we can't buy automatic weapons, for example, but can a person make a anti-aircraft weapon, for example? I mean, you know, as I said, I am a gun owner, but I am in favor of sensible gun laws. And I wonder if either one of those two laws are currently on the books. I'm going to hang up and listen to the radio now. Thanks. We appreciate you calling in, Stephen. Reed, what about uh, I'll take those in reverse buying? Order. Okay. Uh, so the caliber limit, uh, as a general rule, it's 50 caliber or less for um, individuals. So 50 caliber or less. With regard to the first question about the watch list, I'll be candid with you. I don't know if uh, the watch list serves as a disqualification. It's not in the statute, but the whole concept of the watch list perplexes me. You don't know how you get on it. There's no list that you can check to see if you're on it. And uh, there's no published criteria about how to get off of it or what gets you on it in the first place. The watch list has been a concern for, well, since 2001 when it really came into being. And there's been a lot of litigation about it. Uh, So the answer to that question is no, it's not anything stated in uh, 18 U.S.C. 921 or 923. It's not on the form 4473, but that doesn't mean that it wouldn't end up uh, causing either a delay or a uh, non-approval on uh, a 4473 application. Okay, I hope that helped you, Stephen. Let's now go to Mobile and talk with Cade. Cade, thanks so much for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I had a question. I'm in Alabama, and uh, from what I understand, the law in Alabama, uh, the way it's written, I'm not sure if it's constitutional or not, is that all 67 counties in Alabama, the sheriff uh, has the authority uh, to uh, regulate fees and permits regarding to uh, uh, pistols or any kind of firearm. My question is this, um, and they're also be, they're allowed by law to personally keep all of those funds, any and all funds, and uh, they're not required to disclose any uh, information to the public regarding that. But um, my question is, the ability of these sheriffs or any kind of authority to impose fees for you to be able to obtain uh, a pistol permit uh, seems, in my opinion, to be infringing upon your right to have the firearm. Uh, And I'm not sure the uh, application in Mississippi, but maybe you could um, talk about that a little bit. Thank you. Thank you, Cade. The uh, argument that imposing a fee for the issuance of a concealed carry license is not likely to go very far. Uh, There are fees in every state that I'm aware of. Um, 
that issue concealed carry licenses. There are traditionally uh, government fees for just about any type of activity, constitutionally protected or not. Uh, unless those fees are set in such a manner as to uh, intentionally, or I, I guess maybe even practically have the effect of um, impeding access to that right. So if the fee was $10,000 or a million dollars or whatever you want to use as your hypothetical, then in that situation, it might be. But um, a modest fee, a reasonable fee, I've, and I'm not aware of any cases uh, saying that those are unconstitutional. I have seen some litigation about what constitutes a reasonable fee. I think this was out of uh, Washington, D.C., because the, the district there, the um, people in charge were very deliberate in trying to make it nearly impossible to get a concealed carry license. They've gotten slightly better after the Supreme Court told them a couple times to cut it out. But um, I, as far as the fees in Alabama, I don't remember exactly what they are off the top of my head, but I don't remember them being uh, chilly in their amount. And so I'm not sure that I would say that that is uh, an infringement on a constitutionally protected right. Because again, we're talking about concealed carry, which is traditionally uh, in the history of our country, not been something that the courts have recognized as the core of the right. We need some case law to develop that, but uh, looking in Mississippi, we went through this several years ago, open carry has a much stronger uh, historical and legislative protection than concealed carry. Uh, at one point, concealed carry was considered to be something only done by thugs and criminals, that a, a gentleman would carry his pistol out where everyone could see it. Let's go to Louisiana and talk with Will. Thanks, Will, for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Uh, what I was saying, if you, live, if you live in Mississippi and have a concealed weapon, then you go to Louisiana. And if an officer pull you over in Louisiana, they might ask, first thing they may ask you is, do you have a concealed weapon? Can you tell them the lies that you don't? Uh, you just tell them you got one. And how do you address that situation if you're in one state with a concealed weapon permit and another state act pull you over, a state or law enforcement pull you over and ask you that question, you got to tell them you got a concealed weapon. Reed, do you have uh, any comment no, about Louisiana? Yes. Now, I do not practice in Louisiana, so I do not claim to be extremely well-versed in Louisiana, but I can answer to the effect that um, the state in which you are located at the time, generally their law will control. And this applies to all sorts of things. Uh, if you're in Louisiana, even if you have a Mississippi handgun permit, Louisiana law governs where you can carry that permit, not Mississippi law. Same thing with a Mississippi driver's license in Louisiana. If Louisiana, I don't know that they do, but if they had a no turn on red, a no right turn on red law, you're obligated to follow that, even though Mississippi doesn't and permits it. So uh, in that case, whatever Louisiana law is, um, would be the law that applies. And I would recommend going to um, a reputable source. Handgunlaw.us uh, is a very good source. They've cited me in the past, so that I know that they're doing their uh, due diligence to try to keep it as accurate as possible. And you could probably find uh, that answer there. 
Well, and I think that's why we have great listeners to MPB to uh, arm yourself with with knowledge. And, you know, whether you're traveling and there's a no texting while you're driving or there's no radar speed radar equipment available. If you're going to travel, you need to know what the laws are and the rules. Let's take one more call before our next break. Let's go to Nick in Starksville. Nick, thanks so much for calling in today to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Uh, My question is, I have a couple of three old fathers that was handed down to me uh, from my Relatives has been dead for 25, 30 years. Uh, I'd say the guns are at least 75 years old, and I'm sure they're not registered, and I've never registered them, and I don't plan on registering them. I'd like a comment on not registering them and, and what is a, uh, the downside of not registering them. The audio cut out a little bit, Nick. Did you say that these are just revolvers? Yeah, they're, they're old Smith & Weston revolvers that was handed down to me uh, several years ago. They're probably 75 years old or older, and I've had them. I'm 80 years old, and I've had them for, for 50 years, and they're registered. Well, let me put your mind at ease, Nick. Uh, you do not have to register any firearm in the state of Mississippi. There are certain firearms that must be registered with the federal government. Uh, those are machine guns, suppressors, short barrel rifles. But with the state of Mississippi, several years ago, they were healed the only statute that applied to suppressors. You don't have to register these revolvers with um, anybody. Is there a restriction as far as carrying them in your, uh, carrying them in your car or anything like that? Not within the state of Mississippi, assuming that you are not a prohibited person. Okay. You've answered my question, and I thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. We appreciate you calling in. We are discussing your Second Amendment rights to bear arms. Are no weapons allowed signs enforced in Mississippi? This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show 
inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking today with attorney Reed Martz from Breland Martz about gun rights. The carrying of a stun gun, concealed pistol or revolver, may be disallowed in any place in the discretion of the person or entity exercising control over the physical location of such place by the placing of a written notice clearly readable at a distance of not less than 10 feet that the carrying of a pistol or revolver is prohibited. Let, let's take a Carlton from Canton as our last call of the day. Carlton, thanks for calling in to our show in legal terms. What's your comment or question? Hi, thanks for taking my call. So real quick question. I hope it hadn't been covered already. Um, so if I, have my, um, if I have my firearm in the car, with me when I'm traveling and I am I don't have a concealed carry um is it okay to have it you know like tucked under the seat um or you know if if a uh, if a law enforcement officer stops me on a traffic stop or does it need to be visible what would be the rules around that yes Carlton that's a good question so first let me clarify that this answer applies within the jurisdictional boundaries of Mississippi if you go to another state, as I said to the earlier caller, you need to follow that state's law. Not all states have the same law as Mississippi. So you need to check and be sure that you're in compliance with that other state's law. Within the state of Mississippi, you can put the uh, firearm in your vehicle and you can put it under the floorboard or someone mentioned putting it on the seat. I joked off air with Liz that a firearm sitting on a seat unsecured becomes a projectile in the event of an accident. I don't think that's a very good idea. So you want to do something that prevents that from causing harm. You're much more likely to be involved in an auto accident than a self-defense shooting. So keep those risks in mind. Uh, but you do not have to keep the firearm uh, visible to a law enforcement officer. And in fact, I would suggest that you not. Uh, the highway patrolmen and other individuals I've spoken with about this said that given Mississippi's law, they just assume that every vehicle they pull over contains a firearm. I was pulled over several years ago, and I, I told the officer, he asked for my insurance, and I said, it's in this glove box. There's also a firearm in there. He said, that's fine. Just don't touch it. And that was the end of it. it was, uh, he did everything he should have done, and I did everything I did by not surprising him or uh, scaring him, my recommendation would be if you have a firearm in the vehicle, especially at night, a police officer approaches you, turn on your interior lights, put your hands on the steering wheel, and only do what he wants to do. Don't be fiddling around looking for something. If he wants you to provide uh, a driver's license or insurance or whatever else, get that. If your wallet is in your back pocket and you can't get it out before the officer arrives, say, officer, I have uh, my driver's license in my back pocket. However, I also have a firearm on my, my right hip. I'm not going to touch the firearm. Do you have any other instructions before I retrieve my law with my license and do what he says? You know, again, let's be sensitive to the police officers who are concerned about their safety as well as your own. That's a, Thank that's you, a Carlton. That's a great point, Reed. 
Thank you. I think it's a great point about how we interact with uh, police officers in general, um, and uh, and you as a lawyer, I'm sure that would that you know that's great advice to your clients. But hopefully, you know, some people who won't have to be your clients because they follow that advice as well. Um, you know, one one thing that um, we talked about during the break was the stand your ground law, and what you know does Mississippi have one, and what what actually is the stand your ground law in terms of you know gun rights. Yes. Now, uh, stand your ground is a separate area of law from gun rights. It, it applies in all situations, regardless of whether a firearm is involved. I don't like this term, stand your ground. Uh, I think it's used as a rhetoric and for political purposes. I refer to this as uh, no duty to retreat rather than stand your ground. And that distinguishes it from the few. It's a minority position, but there are certain states that have a duty to retreat. Even in those states, a retreat is only required when it can be done with absolute and complete safety. You're not required to turn your back on someone with a firearm or a knife and try to run away and see if you can outrun their, their bullet or the, test their marksmanship. So in, this, in every state within our union, uh, you do not have a duty to retreat in the face of imminent danger that can't be avoided. And really, that's all we should be talking about anyway. If you're going to use a firearm in a self-defense situation, it should be your last option. If you're in a vehicle, you probably have the option to drive off. Um, if you are in a situation where there's sufficient distance that this person doesn't pose a threat and you can safely retreat, we, you're obligated to do that. Um, we're not looking for an excuse to shoot someone. We're looking for uh, situations that there is no other option. So uh, the no duty to retreat is codified in statutory law in Mississippi, and uh, it applies when the person is not the initial aggressor, when the person is not engaged in unlawful activity. So you can't break into someone's house and threaten them and then say, oh, well, I was standing my ground when they retrieved a firearm and told me to leave. Well, that doesn't work. But um, if you are somewhere you have a right to be and you are, are not committing any sort of crime, you're not re required to retreat in that situation. And that's really what stands your ground is. But it shouldn't come into play very much. It didn't come into play in the uh, Trayvon Martin situation down in Florida that got so much attention. It, it just, it wasn't a stand your ground case at all, despite what people wanted it to be. It wasn't. It, it, that option was not present. It wasn't even considered by the jury there. So uh, that's my soapbox about stand your ground. Well, that's, we that's only crazy. have uh, 45 minutes left, 45 seconds left for our show. Reed, you mentioned Handgun Law U.S. website that we'll put on a, a link on the information. Where else can individuals find, get information for gun rights? The very best source is MidSouthGunLawyer.com because that's my website. Well, then. You should start there and then, then go look for somebody else. But I don't cover all 50 states. And, and my, again, my website is midsouthgunlawyer.com. Well, that is fantastic. We'll make sure that that's on the website and on the podcast for everyone to click on. Hey, we're also on YouTube, folks. 
Thank you, Reed Martz from Freeland Martz, for being on our show. We know you're a busy guy, and you took an hour to be with us, and we appreciate that very much. Thank you. You're welcome. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Thank you, Michelle McAdoo and Jay White. Thank you, Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're still socially distanced. We did that here before it was cool. I'm Liz Gill, and we hope you join us next Tuesday for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.